0: Hello, and welcome to Building Brand You, the show where we help you to accelerate your success, getting you more clients, more revenue, more business, and more opportunities by unlocking your greatest asset, you. My name is Kim Hayner. I'm an international business coach, a recognized global expert on leadership and visibility, and I designed this podcast for you. To help you unlock what you already have, and to give you a whole host of tools and techniques that you can implement in order to accelerate your success and build your own Brand you. We also publish exclusive material, offers, and behind-the-scenes content in our Building Brand You Facebook group. And if you'd like to find out more about our Building Brand View coaching programs, you can book a free 20-minute call with me where we'll explore where you are and whether Building Brand New coaching is the right fit for you. You'll find both of those links, as well as many others, in the show notes. So let's unlock this episode and lift the lid on what's next in Building Brand View. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this feature-length episode of Building Brand New. Today, as the last guest episode in our season four of the Building Brand New podcast, I am delighted to welcome Craig Lee. Craig is an independent experience advisor and partner in Kinetic Consulting Services, and he helps business leaders join the dots between their customers, their brands, and their employees to deliver experiences that matter, both profitably and sustainably. Craig is a recognized experience leader. He's a global expert in customer, employee, and leadership experience, strategy, and marketing, as well as bringing brands to life. He's an international speaker, a non-executive director, and customer experience advisor to a number of global companies. He's also a C-suite coach, mentor and trainer. One of the reasons I am thrilled to have Craig with us in this conversation is that Craig started out working for companies. Then he moved outside companies and went into the world of consulting. And just recently, he's taken the leap from being employed to being an entrepreneur. I really hope you enjoy this conversation with the wonderful Craig Lee. Well hello Craig how are you today thanks for joining us.
1: Kim it's a pleasure it's been a wonderful uh, journey so far and um, delighted that you've invited me to uh, share, share some views on the podcast. I'm a little apprehensive um, because I don't know what you're going to throw at me but um, looking forward to it.
0: Oh that's always the way we work isn't it Craig you know you don't know what I'm going to throw at you I don't know what you're going to say and it turns out marvelously I'm sure (laughs) (laughs) well thank you my pleasure it's wonderful to have you here so on the building brand new podcast when we have guests what I like to do is is kind of pass the mic over to you I guess and have you uh tell our listeners you know who who is Craig Lee what what's Craig Lee's story so without further ado I hand the mic to you
1: Wow, that's a clangor to start with. Um, (laughs) um, Who's Craig Lee? Craig Lee uh, is somebody who was um, born in Africa, brought up in Africa, always played internationally, worked internationally, but has this this mix of pragmatic, third world, practical implementation, with uh, all the excitement that the first world offers us in terms of technologies, processes, ways of thinking. And so I think I'm a little eclectic in the sense that I like to always be able to bring groups of people together, very sometimes seemingly conflicting ideas to create new magic. Um, I started life as a diplomat. I thought all all the way through that's what I wanted to do. I did that for about four years and then realized that diplomacy actually didn't really shift things in the world. Um, And I was encouraged by a friend of mine to join the big scary private sector. Um, So as a civil servant moved across to the private sector, which I didn't think was possible. But in so doing, it was one of the first lessons I had in life was that your skill set is never defined by what you do. Your skill set can be used in multiple places. And I was just lucky to have somebody who mentored me quite early on to say, actually, everything you've studied, everything you do, and how you do it, is just as applicable in another environment as it is in that one. So once I got over the ego of, um, of no longer thinking of my life as being cut out as a diplomat, I went into private sector where I was able to use similar skills to Help that organization reposition itself for the emerging new South Africa and position itself internationally. So I really, really enjoyed that. And that got me into the way corporations transform, the way big multi-sort um, of multi-group businesses function or dysfunction sometimes. Um, and the power, the power of putting a very, very strong brand in place to bring things to life and to, to give people a sense of um, purpose and, um, and cohesion. And that got me involved with new business. It got me involved with international ventures. It got me involved with mergers and acquisitions and a number of other parts that really at a very young age allowed me to experience the diversity of, of corporate, corporate life. Um, that was fun. And I was really well mentored by an amazing mentor at the time who is still a good friend and still there, um, someone who's very pragmatic and was able to keep me on the straight and narrow and, and give me the, the inside scoop on how boards worked and various other things. But one of the things that came out of, uh, came out of all of that was how how common sense didn't seem to be common enough, Um, how even within big organizations, it was quite difficult within the silos and the cost centers to join the dots for people to understand what they did and how it helped the business make money and how it helped their customers and how it helped their employees. So um, that got me involved with, with many uh, additional pieces of work, which were fun. And finally, I came over to the UAE um, at a very early stage of, of Emirates Airlines development, uh, looking after um, global sales and marketing, and then ultimately moving into a CRM role, and then the, the really fun and exciting role of customer experience in um, in a business that was doubling in size every four years and didn't think like an airline and didn't want to be commoditized. And that was a fascinating time for me to get into customer experience and understand that that actually joined the dots even more securely uh, for me than my other experiences had. And then in 2014, 15, I decided that um, I was energetic enough to take what I'd learned in all these fantastic organizations and apply it to organizations. And I would be more effective on the outside than I would on the inside. And that's where I've been playing for the last six or seven years, um, really helping business leaders join the dots between their customers, their brands, and their employees to deliver experiences that really matter. And Do that profitably and do that sustainably. sustainably. Um, And that's where I play. That's Craig Lee in
0: a nutshell. Fantastic. There are so many nuggets in there I want to ask you about. Uh, The common sense is not common enough. I think that that is, it just encapsulates, I think, what a lot of us see, particularly when we work in. Not just larger organizations either. I think that some of the smaller ones are as 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 guilty as that that siloed thinking and that that disjointed way of working. Um, so how you talked about sort of customer experience joining some of those dots better. How do you think that it that that customer experience relates to that common sense? Do you think there's a better connection between them? or do you just think customer experience is a different lens to look at it through? I think
1: it's actually the biggest disconnect that most organizations have. You know, they're supposedly structured to provide services or products to customers. And yet, in many of the organizations I work, the customer is one of the last things that comes up on the agenda. Um, Companies seem to be doing things within their ecosystem that supports the organization. And I don't see the the link being made that we're doing this because it helps the customer in this way and it makes us more money if we help the customer in that way. I don't see that type of thinking. And I'm very curious always to understand why that mindset isn't there. Because it's, it's taken for granted that that's the core reason we're in business is to is to increase profitability and um, service customers. But it's the part of the conversation, and perhaps it's a strategy issue, it's part of the conversation that's, that's always implicit and very seldom explicit until things go wrong. So that's why I think the customer lens is, is an interesting one, only because it's a very underplayed lens. Not because it's the only lens, but because it's the lens that, a bit like a muscle is least developed, uh, in the, in the corporate conversation.
0: Hmm. And, and perhaps there's, there's also, um, a conversation about ownership and how do we make that explicit? If we say everyone owns the customer or the customer experience, then who owns it and who drives it and who makes it explicit in the business I think is a really interesting question when you look at figures like Walt Disney is one that comes immediately to mind who love him or or not he his vision was about creating an experience for his customers sometimes at the expense of profit (laughs) but you know but he was explicit very explicit about what that was to him do you think that that that's something that's that's missing or or you don't think that we're even close to actually aligning on what that, that vision is?
1: I think there are multiple visions and uh, this sort of comes back to uh, what I always try and look at when I'm talking to customers and, and in with my clients is to understand how they refer to these people called customers. Are they guests? Are they clients? Are they customers? Um, are they a, a number? what's the mindset of the organization and how is it geared around delivering optimally to that group of people because delivering optimally sometimes also reduces cost reduces complexity um, and keeps clients longer and stickier you know part of part of an ecosystem we tend to see the see clients as this the external link to the business not as part of the working ecosystem of the business that we're constantly trying to draw a line to. So I think a lot of this has to do with um, the way organizations are fairly fragmented. Um, you know, it's a bit like uh, some conversations in, in some less mature companies will talk about brand as, yes, we've got a marketing department. You know, They're they, the logo police. They look after the brand and, and, and all that, that stuff. Um, Whereas other organizations see the brand as everything to do with how the business um, delivers itself, what it talks about, um, how it engages um, well beyond the marketing, well beyond the marketing uh, message. So, yeah, I think the uh, companies really struggle with, first of all, creating a direct line of sight to the customer and knowing that. Everything they do, everything they do, either makes the brand or breaks the brand, mm. and that has a consequence to so many different parts of the ecosystem.
0: Mm, mm. And I think what you say there is, I mean, you you know, you're talking about it in a in a bigger company sense, but I think it's just as true uh, for. Uh, People in in smaller businesses, even uh, if we're solopreneurs or in or in our own businesses, having having some uh, some reflection and thoughtfulness about making the customer part of the ecosystem instead of this external piece that we kind of tag on. That it's kind of the ultimate goal, but we'll get to it once we <laughs> do all of the other things, kind of thing. And I think there's a, there's some real. Um, there's some real value in that I think we can learn a lot uh, from some of the things that perhaps don't work and do work in the bigger organizations it's certainly been my experience uh, coming into my own business and running my own business is how do we take the, the learnings that we see so starkly there and you use the word pragmatism a lot. How do we present them and offer them to yeah. people in a pragmatic and implementable way uh, that is not overwhelming and that allows, as you said, allows us to join the dots uh, in our in our business, no matter how big or how small they are.
1: And I think you're right there, Kim, it's some sometimes it's easier for smaller organizations and and startup organizations to be very clear about what they want to do for customers, why the customers are important, and what type of things are valuable to the customer. And not to try and fix everything in the company on day one, but to just focus on those things that make the customer really happy. Um, In bigger organization, that gets a bit lost because the the ecosystem takes over the ecosystem a little bit. And, you know, the IT project becomes really important. Nobody really knows why, but it consumes huge amount of effort and marketing's doing this. And, you know, those guys are doing this transformation, et cetera. So in smaller companies with a, a much clearer idea of direction and, and strategy, and I don't mean strategy in terms of a, a big fat document. I just mean in terms of, managing a strategic conversation of two or three things regularly with everybody in the organization, regardless of what level of the organization. If we keep talking about the same three things all the time, they start to happen. And you know, from my, from my experience, that's what I saw so successfully in Emirates when they were doubling in size every four years was um, Sir Tim Clark, who was the president of Emirates, spoke about strategy with absolute clarity and direction and painted the picture of what it would look like in four years, in eight years, in 12 years time. And nobody could really fathom that until they saw numbers of aircraft, you know, moving from 12,000 cabin crew to 22,000 cabin crew in six years. So the message that came through that was that, that change is sometimes very uncomfortable And being uncomfortable really challenges all aspects of the the status quo. And that helps us all focus a hell of a lot more clearly because there's less resource around and we want to succeed. And the energy and excitement of doing things um, and, and sort of being leading edge is what then starts to stimulate everybody. But it starts by keeping the message absolutely consistent. And I found in some organizations you know the brand values are stuck on the wall the mission statement is not referred to um there's no real sense of purpose when when the directors are sitting around the table to see how they're progressing and where they wanting to go so i think part of this mindset is how do you choose the three or four things that you're absolutely going to focus on and how do you keep those top of mind and one of them i would hope would be customer
0: Yes, I think it, just as important is to, to to choose what not to do. Absolutely. You know, you talked Absolutely. about, um, yeah. you know, choosing the three or four things uh, we um, I was recently talking to, uh, you know, Dr. Alan Barnard, who was on um, at the end of actually episode 15 last season of the building brand new podcast. And he talked about um, what he sees as a decision scientist and theory of constraints expert, this whole piece around People have lists and lists and lists of priorities. And actually, the, the key is picking the two or three things that are actually going to make a difference in your business, to drive your business forward. And, you know, it, it might sound like a cliche, but if we don't have customers, we don't really have a business, do we? What, whatever term we use to call, yeah. to refer to our customers, we don't really have a business. Like, who are we serving?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think it was Frances Fry, who is a who's a professor at Harvard. She she used to spend a lot of time in the strategy classes there talking about strategy is about being as decisive about what you're not going to do as what you are going to do. And um, sometimes the clutter of you know layers and layers of task creates busyness in the organization. And busyness seems to be the right thing to do. Um, but is it the right busyness? And sometimes I think we we have a lot of uh, what um, you know. Sir Maurice Flanagan, who was the who was the um, uh, ex, the vice chairman at Emirates, he used to always talk about this lovely concept of wasteful complexity. And I think and I think a lot of what we see in organisations is wasteful complexity, um, unnecessary complexity around the wrong stuff not making it easier for customers to do business with us and certainly not making it easier for employees to deliver experiences that make it easier for customers to do business with us.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah. What occurs to me is that um, with, with all of this in mind, you sort of made the decision to go from Poacher to gamekeeper, we call it here in the UK. <laughs> um, so you went from working inside an organisation to working outside an organisation, and I know uh, that uh, you've also made the transition from being employed to being an entre- entrepreneur with a with a roster of of uh, opportunities that you work on um so i'd love to understand a little bit about you know we've been talking about um you know this this joining the dots this experience this silo you you think i'm more effective on the outside than the inside so what what inspired you to think actually i don't just want to go outside i want to just be completely outside (laughs) well.
1: I think it comes back to this idea of be, being comfortable with being uncomfortable. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the famous quote, that life begins at the end of your comfort zone. Um, so I do, as a, just as a, as a natural course, always push the boundaries with myself as to, you know, are you, are you, do you really need uh, the, 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 the revenue to survive? In other words, are you, are you doing what you're passionate about Or are you um, not necessarily bringing your full self to work because um, you you need a salary or you need whatever? And I've had a fantastic experience in the last four years working with a lot of luxury retail brands. And um, a very good, uh, a very close associate of mine in that company, um, a gentleman called Joe Sejan. Joe grew up in retail and what he always used to say to me um, was that uh, sales is a consequence of having great client experience. Um, And when you look at it, it absolutely is. So those companies, and I'll get back to where I was going with this, but those companies that focus on trying to push the sales measure, you know, what your targets are, what this is, what that is, Um, those, those companies often forget that you will make more sales by connecting better. You'll make more sales by not focusing on the sale, but focusing on creating the relationship that's going to drive the sale. And in a similar sense, my personal journey is the same. I suddenly, when I got over that fear factor of saying, where is the revenue going to come from? suddenly the doors open. And I'm sure in your own entrepreneurial journey, you've experienced the same. Um, As you you let go, as you start to focus on those things that drive passion, and more importantly, value for other people, and sometimes we don't see the value in ourselves in delivering that value to other people. Mm. But as soon as they see that value, you start to worry less about where things are coming from but rather start to run faster at where things are going to if that makes
0: sense i certainly feel like i'm running faster and faster and faster every month right? <laughs> <laughs> but it's a great it's a great analogy actually i love when you said um are you bringing your full self to work and that's not saying that uh, for me anyway that uh, my my business and what I do is the be all and end all but all of a sudden because i'm i'm bringing the fullness of me to it it doesn 't feel like it has to be siloed anymore I am quite disciplined you know you know me uh, quite well you know yeah. i 'm quite disciplined about saying okay when there, well when there's time to play or there's time for family or you know i 'm quite disciplined and and organized about making sure those things happen but you know, coming into my business and working with my team and producing what I do and working with my clients and all of that, just, it's not always easy, but it brings me joy. And then what could be better than that? And you're so right. When I when I stopped worrying about how I was going to pay the bills, like really worrying about how I was going to pay the bills. <laughs> oh, dear, I've got a deadline coming at the end of the month. Um, All of a sudden, I just started to think, how do I just create, I suppose for me, it's about creating safe spaces for people. And once I got that in my head, how do I create the right space for people? How do I create that? Then it sort of unlocked something, I think, both in me and I think it unlocked uh, some of the values in my business and, and all of that sort of thing. And Have you have you found that as you've moved sort of more away from the, the structure of being employed? Because I know that you've got a number of different interests uh, in your portfolio. So, you know, are, are you at the stage of kind of uh, you've found the lane or are you still at the stage of kind of going, I'm testing out, I know what my thing is, that I'm I'm trying to make sense of all the different channels I can I can take all the different paths I could take to make yeah. this happen. Where are you at in your journey?
1: I think there's a there's a little bit of vulnerability in this in the sense that if nothing is absolutely clear and absolutely plotted out. But what I have found is that when I'm not focused on. Um, taking someone else's methodology and having to apply it to a client situation or a specific way of thinking and applying it to a situation or trying to sell something to a client, I I appear more uh, authentically. And when I appear more authentically, I come across as more credible. And that's taken me into a C-suite space that is fascinating because I think what many of us um do not appreciate is how lonely it is at the top and how difficult it is for some c-suite um, leaders to not only lead uh, and drive their discipline but also have a sounding board that they can share ideas with and i've been really fortunate that i've been pulled into that space um, And I think I've been pulled into that space because I don't have an agenda. I can really appear and listen and reflect and offer, uh, you know, offer direction because I'm not trying to sell something. Mm. If we don't do it this time, that's fine. You know, some people have actually kept me on a retainer basis to have those conversations when they feel free to do it. And, and that's a super privileged position, which I'm, I'm exciting, excited to explore because when you, when you, can, when you can help change a mindset, when you can help just take something that you already have, um, that has already been invested in, I think the, the impression that's often created is that when you want to transform something, you've got to get rid of everything you've got, um, throw it out and replace it with new stuff. And I think that's where the C-suite sometimes really struggles, um, where we don't throw things out. We say, let's have a look at what you got. Let's, let's have a look at if we just join the dots between this thing and that thing, could we get more leverage? So I'm finding the journey super exploratory. I'm, a curious, uh, I'm curious by nature. And um, going on a journey where you don't quite know where it's going to end up Um, allows you to just to use listening skills more than anything else and that seems to build uh, confidence and
0: credibility Mm. and trust yeah trust is
1: a huge thing trust Mm. is a is a huge thing yeah
0: Mm. and and as you say uh those you know obviously when when we're working in businesses we don't see that that isolation I think that happens at the top you know while it might all look you know like there's a great team and there's great support and all of that sort of thing the buck stops with that one person and uh, having that external uh, non-judgmental space I think that is just as you say a sounding board it's not bringing anything to say you should do this or you should do that it's an opportunity to sort of as you say be vulnerable and and just say well i'm concerned what if what if i'm thinking blah 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 without without that pressure to have to do something with it or have to manage someone yeah. else's expectations or you know we don't often think about that aspect of what looks like a very powerful and very successful person at the top of an organization.
1: Absolutely. and it's you know it's sort of a mixture of um, I read a lot of Brene Brown. I don't know if, if you've come across Brene Brown. I
0: have quite a lot. <laughs>
1: yeah. so, so I love I love the way she positions things because I find that in some environments we still have a very patriarchal, um attitude to to leadership um as being about titles and about power and about you know um always taking responsibility and um always having to make the decisions um and i there's a there's a you know i think as leadership is starting to evolve um we don't always have to pretend we've got the right answers um we don't always have to see power as being finite Um, We don't have to avoid difficult conversations and and, uh, situations. If we understand that we've got an entire team that can do great work by um, just being showing a bit more vulnerability and allowing them to do it. So I think the biggest challenge that I've noticed is that we don't ask the right questions. We ask very tactical questions, very matter of fact, closed questions. And in doing so, we don't really invite other people to participate and share their ideas in a safe and trusted environment. So um, a lot of what I do is to try and create that safe space by asking very open questions. And there's a lovely book called QBQ, which um, I'm happy to to share the links with um, later in the podcast. But QBQ is all about the question behind the question. And I think it's only when we're astutely listening that we can say, Kim, you asked X, Y, and Z, but what's the question behind that question? And then suddenly things open up and a different context is given. Um, So I like to to play with that. I like to really try and get into the mindset of what's driving that reason, what's driving that decision, because most leaders feel they have to decide something now. And they don't tap into um, their team to do that. Now, either because they don't trust their team or they feel they have to be leading and don't quite know how to show a little bit of vulnerability. But it's amazing what happens when that can be opened up.
0: Mm. Yes, absolutely. I'm wondering, because we've kind of gone from the customer experience space to talking about leaders, uh, right now. And I know uh, that, you know, you mentioned you've you've worked, you know, you've been pulled into that C-suite space, working with leaders, being sounding board, being an advisor, that sort of thing. How do you think uh, that all, you know, links to what you were, is there a link between what you were saying about the customer experience? I know we've talked in the past about employee experience. How do you think all of that, links to leadership experience or leadership or are there are there dots that are not joined up yet or how does all of that work you know i can see it thread, but i'm not quite (laughs) sure where it's going
1: (laughs) i love the fact that you're playing back joining the dots because i really believe that's for me that's the simplest visual that i have in my head is um you know we we need to be able to join the dots on a whole range of things. We don't just have this vertical line. Now, great question, because for me, for a long time, I focused on customer experience. How do we enhance it? How do we improve it? Which elements do we need to measure more? What do we need to train people to do to live, deliver better? What are customers saying about the experience, um, et cetera? So very much focused on the deliberate design of experiences. Um, to to drive more loyalty, to drive greater traction. When I started stepping back from that and and looking at employee experience, I just realized how disconnected sometimes the way organizations and companies deliver their employee experience, how they treat their employees, what they think about employees. And yet they're the same people we, we want To help deliver these fantastic customer experiences and then when i started speaking to leaders as to to try and understand the employee experience a bit better i suddenly stumbled across the fact that leadership experience drives the employee experience which drives the customer experience Mm. and if we're measuring the customer experience and really tuned into that It should be able to reinform the strategy and the leadership experience. So, for me, I started to join the dots on that and see that as a business closed loop ecosystem, not a bunch of silos, not a bunch of cost centers all delivering elements of something. It starts and ends with the leadership experience. And I see very little tangible accountability on the C suite for customers. And even more difficult, it is for middle managers who have to drive both the customer experience and the employee experience to be supported to do that because of very little accountability to the middle managers of how am I going to support you to deliver what you need to deliver. So it's becoming for me a really powerful obsession that... For us to change the customer experience, we have to change the mindset of the leadership. And we have to change how the leadership delivers. And that sort of brings us back to almost a Simon Sinek conversation, which is why do we do what we do? Um, Because so often the context of why we do what we do um, is not there.
0: Mm. Absolutely. Why do you think there is no accountability? Why do you think that's missing?
1: I think because we've become very role-based
0: mm.
1: and we're not, we don't have collective accountability, for example, in yes. delivering the branded experience to customers. We don't yet have a mindset that says, when I screw up in the accounts department, um, which is a back office, inverted commas, Um, function it actually breaks the brand to a specific customer and to fix that somebody in the call center is going to get a call and the call center person is not going to be empowered to be able to resolve that situation and has to go back to the accounts department and that seems to happen all the time so at various stages i don't think we have cross-functional accountability to call people out that we are jointly um, responsible for what that end experience looks like. And it should be our collective accountability to resolve those issues. Um, one of the things when we were working with Disney, um, it was, you know they have a very clear mantra that says, it's not my fault, but it is my problem, meaning that they're going to see issues at any touch point. And it's not my fault, so I don't have to defend it. I don't have to say our policy is, whatever else. But it is my problem because I'm the representative of the brand at the specific juncture, whether it's on an email, on a phone call, or face to face. And I think that's a really empowering mindset to start to develop. Um, What I also see happening a lot around um, accountability is that's not my turf. I look after accounts or I look after marketing or I look after this. Um, And that's happening in the customer space or that's happening in the training space. Um, Not that we are all there to support, to make sure that what's delivered to the employee and what's delivered ultimately to the customer uh, is joined up. Um, The second thing I think that happens is I've, I've noticed recently a lot of upward delegation. And I'm curious to know why. Um, And and what seems to be happening is uh, a leader will task a group of people to do something. Um, As soon as they hit a snag, they start to feel very vulnerable and they start to feel um, threatened in a bit of a fear culture. So they don't touch it because then at least they can't be accountable for it. Um, and then what tends to happen is the middle manager says, well, bring it back to me. Let me sort it out and goes into task mode and sorts it out. But in that process, basically gets handed back the issue and we never grow people with in a growth mindset to say, if that's happened, what do you think we should do about it? What do you suggest you can do about it? And I can fully support you in doing that. We don't have that two-second or five-minute conversation to just reset that responsibility continues to sit with you. I'm not taking it back. And this seems to happen all the way up large organizations and small ones is we keep taking back the the accountability and we wonder why people don't feel um, responsible for things.
0: Mm. When we're letting them off the hook.
1: Yeah, sometimes we need to have difficult conversations, Mm. but we can do that if we have a growth mindset and if people feel that there's enough rapport that's been established between us and that you're there to help me. Then we can have difficult conversations quite often because it's not a threat to the individual. It's I'm having that conversation because you want to grow and my role is to help you grow.
0: What about the other way? I'm really interested in what happens when the leader is on the other end of the difficult conversation. Like we just talked about upward delegation and I'm not talking about upward delegation, I'm talking about the upward difficult conversation. So (laughs) do you think, you know, a lot of the organisations that I've been working with over the last uh, 18 months to two years, there seems to have been an unwillingness to um, say to people they get it it's difficult but what would it take to make that happen and it's one of my when I first started being coached years and years ago someone said it to me I sort of came up and sort of said oh something's not going to happen or I can't do it or I can't afford it or whatever it is and they said well what would it take what would it take to make that happen and I've used that it's interesting I've used that a few times in the last couple of months and it's really made people step back. And I thought, what are, we let, what are we letting people off the hook? Why are we doing this? Because inevitably all of them have come back in some way or other and, and thought about, well, how, how could I make that happen or how could that work instead of sitting, as you said, uh, instead of in a growth mindset, in that fixed mindset of this is how it is. And I can't change it so I think that's it it's just fascinating that that there's this whole I don't know whether it's approval or fear or dependency maybe it's easy to be dependent on other people and you don't have to take the responsibility and you just wait for leadership to tell you what to do and what what about the other way around what about you know if if I was to go and have a conversation difficult conversation with my leader or my ceo do you see much of that happening
1: Um, I see it it very, very rarely. Mm. Uh, I don't see that. There's certain companies, and they tend to be, I mean, this is a gross generalization, but they tend to be the more profitable companies who have got that true uh, 360 approach where anyone's ideas are valid and anyone can share an idea, provided it's backed up, provided... It's got substance. You know, it's not a critiquing, it's not a critiquing process just to say you haven't done why can't I do, why can't I get that promotion? Why can't this happen? Everything's unfair. It's not those type of conversations. It's about because we are jointly um, accountable for making this happen. I really need your, your support to help me do this better. Now, one of my clients two, three years ago had a wonderful, wonderful global head of retail who had been an athlete, um, had been an Olympian. And this gentleman was fantastic because in every situation, he encouraged his teams and especially his senior management team to, to come to the party, to be able to suggest what needed to happen. And because he opens the door to that, there was a lot more collaboration and he could get a lot more done because there was collective accountability um, for a good result. But what I saw happening in those in those uh, meetings was super interesting because we, we ran an exercise to say, what do I need from you? And what do you need from me to make this work more effectively? And as soon as the question was position of we both need something from each other. How can I do this better to help you do that? And vice versa. Suddenly, there was almost a recontracting of what needed to be done. And that was super liberating.
0: Mm, mm. I love that idea of recontracting, actually, because in every interaction, there's this unspoken, often contract, isn't it, about what we expect from each other? And shifting that and reframing it is so. So powerful! I, I love that. I've never heard it before. I, we often, I often coach around building bridges. You can't build the bridge on your own yes. side of the river. You both have to put the nails in and put the planks in and all that sort of thing to meet at some sort of point in the middle that's of benefit. So, but I, I'm going to steal recontracting.
1: But <laughs> well, I think what's what's also sits behind that Kim is this idea of. So many companies that are trying to become, let's say, more customer-centric, which is, is almost a misnomer because at best, most companies today are becoming more customer-focused. They're trying to fix those things that are broken for their customers. They're not really starting to fix things from the customer's point of view you know, mm. as, as a starting point. So I'm a bit cynical about that piece, but the, the, underlying, um, the underlying premise to all of that is companies are wanting to move away from this transactional approach to a relational approach. This doesn't mean they're going to ditch transactions or that transactions are less important. In fact, transactions are super important and they've got to be done with your eyes shut so that there's space to create relationship. And I think the same thing um, persists in management. If we only focus on the task and we're constantly asking why this is not finished or why the why and what questions around the task, we never lift it to a relational approach like, how can I support you more effectively? This is what I need you to do to support me more effectively and that recontracting. So I think we're looking for transaction to relationship at the customer end, but we're not doing that at a managerial level. And we're certainly not doing that at a middle management to employee level. So that core element of moving from transaction to relationship, I think is a key theme for anybody who's trying to transform, really have a look at what do you talk about every day? What are you managing and focusing on every day? Are they tasks or are they tasks supported by a growth mindset to enhance the relationship mm. and to grow the person.
0: Mm. And I love what you'd said uh, earlier in this conversation about it being an ecosystem. That, you know, when we're, you know, not just the customer, but thinking about the, the middle management and the leadership and employees and all of that sort of thing, um, it is an ecosystem and we all have our specific jobs to do. Uh, you know, I have a team of, of four people and I often say to them, I may be the boss for want of a better word but i have particular roles that i need to play as the boss Uh, but i can't do it without you because you all have your roles to play for us all to make this business better for us all to serve the customer for us all to to build our own personal brand to get a lot out of uh, how how we work together and I've, I often find it quite difficult um, now to get really transactional because I just feel like we're all part of the same ecosystem and we've just all leaders have a job to do just like, you know, the data entry person. It's just a different one. And we need each other to, to, to create the bigger world, whether it's for our, for our customers, for, the, for society, uh, for whatever that, that vision is. Yeah,
1: the the issue that I see around that Kim is that some organisations where accountability um, is clearly set, or mm-hmm. where individuals take the accountability, the the language changes to self empowerment. I don't want to use the word empowerment because that creates <laughs> a whole lot of other other conversations. So. Yeah, but self empowerment. In other words, in my space, in my remit, this is what. I want to do and can do to improve or enhance X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Um, and people who operate like that go from a position of they don't seek permission, um, but they would seek for mi- forgiveness if they if they <laughs> blundered slightly. Yes. But at least they know they're supported in their blunder. Yes. Um, you know, it's not a fear of making a blunder, which means totally, um, just totally frozen and not do anything unless I'm told what to do and when to do it. Yeah. But I think what, what leaders potentially are not that good at is signaling. And I think in small, small businesses, it's particularly difficult. Um, and what I mean by signaling is you're the CEO of a company. You also happen to run, let's say the IT division, and you're also looking after marketing. And we forget that for people working in our teams, we've got a signal in what capacity we're talking to them right now. And this happens in large organizations and small ones. Mm. That, you know, as the CEO, this and this and this needs to be done by all of us in order to move this thing this way or to support that customer in this way. Um, Or starting the conversation as head of marketing, with my marketing hat on, this is what I think we now need to do. What do you think we need to do and which clients can we reach through this messaging, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, for, for in some cultures, because you are the boss, I E CEO, and because you haven't signaled that you're speaking to me in a marketing context, I treat you as the boss. Mm. And I think it's really important that if we are working in cross-functional teams, with multiple roles as seems to be the case more and more these days that we are very clear about how we signal in what mm. capacity we're speaking now
0: that's a great tip and particularly i think so i think we're working across multiple threads in organisations but you know a lot of the listeners of building brand you are entrepreneurs or small business owners and i think that's a a great tip to think about you know, which hat are you wearing right now? Does your team know who they're dealing with? You know, I I think that, uh, yeah, I haven't heard that um, explained so succinctly. I love that. I love that. That might go in the show notes as a like top takeout, I think. Right. (laughs) Um, So uh, what we've been talking about sort of the leadership experience, employee experience, customer experience. So you've, become your own business, for want of a better word, you know, the CEO of Craig. Um, So what's your commitment to experience, to to how people experience you now? Is it different from how when you were employed or different when you were in a big organisation? Has that changed as you've sort of thought about who brand Craig is now?
1: Yeah, it's far scarier now than it was. before. <laughs> <laughs> it's far scarier now because uh, because you know you you are curious, you are experimental, um, and there's a re- but there's still a reputation around delivery. And um, you know, as a single operator or as a very small team of people, um, sometimes it's quite difficult to be everywhere at the same at the same quality and and attention um, that clients um, are expected, are, are, are demanding, and mm-hmm. rightly so demanding, especially when you've got very personal, uh, interpersonal relationships. And I think as you dis- as you discover too, many clients um, are repeat clients, mm-hmm. as the trust is enhanced, suddenly different challenges will be thrown your way for an opinion for advice for support on getting something over the line. So I would say it's, it's more difficult because in that lonely space, luckily we have a group of people like yourself and like some other colleagues I have, who you can, you know, very informally send a WhatsApp and shout, help, (laughs) "What what do I do in this case? Or do you know somebody who can perhaps help with this because, you know, I don't want to be the specialist in that, but I would love to advise a client um, comfortably that this person can potentially help them and stay relatively agnostic in in my advice. So, yeah, I think it is more difficult um, when you are uh, a, a, a single entity or a smaller entity because, just by the nature of it, you have to play a number of different hats at the same time or wear a number of different hats at the same time. Mm -hmm. So um, you do need to be challenged. And um, I loved my sessions that I had with you um, because you challenged me and you got me to really reconsider what I was good at and um, reaching out to friends and ex-colleagues as to what they thought were my skills. I suddenly realized that those skills are really the ones that I need to focus on. Um, I didn't have to be an expert in customer experience, but um, you know, I understood customer experience enough to call myself that, but actually that's not what was getting me the work. Mm. Um, that's not what was getting me in the door. Um, and it wasn't the gray hair either
0: very distinguished uh, listeners
1: you know oh, you. he's
0: doing himself a disservice there
1: <laughs> thank you so much so yeah so um, i think when it comes to to yeah the positioning around your individual brand um, uh, i think we sometimes a lot harsher on ourselves about that because you want to always appear in the way that builds brand equity uh, rather than detracts from that, and it's quite difficult also to then just have a very single focus, um, so that you always appear in the same way.
0: Mm. And you talked earlier about Brené Brown, and you know she's she's very well known for her work on vulnerability uh, and courage and and those sorts of sort of, of qualities. And I think when you start to consider who you are as a brand and start to reach out and Ask others, you know, what they really think you're good at. And then to open yourself up to what do I really love to do? As you said, it wasn't the customer experience piece necessarily in either of those boxes, but there was something about people, there was something about leadership, and there was something about creating safe spaces to be able to, join the dots you know we've talked about that a lot and i know that's a really it's a it's a real golden thread for you is about how how do we join all these dots and make this more cohesive and coherent and you know all of those other great c words clear Mm -hmm. another one so um you know i really love uh you know the how Brené's work can contribute to those you know those kinds of experiences when you're as you say being an entrepreneur um particularly at first can be quite and feel quite isolated quite isolating because you're you might have the same cohort of people around you but they're not doing what you're doing yeah, and it's i think you find that the the the
1: element that you've raised there is it reminds me of 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 somebody else that i really value um for a very pragmatic and um very, very direct response, and that's that's uh, Marcus Buckingham. Mm-hmm. And I would really encourage people to, if if they wanting to tap into their strengths and understand how strengths contribute, is to is to just view some of the Marcus Marcus's work. Either read his books or um, read some of, uh, or, or just go onto YouTube and see some of his pieces. But he always talks about a strength is not something that you're good at. And a weakness is, is not something that, you, that you're bad at. A strength is that activity that really strengthens you. It, it draws you in. It, it really makes time fly while you're doing it. And, and it makes you feel strong. Mm. And I think that's really empowering is linking to the passion that you do things by um, that becomes self-energizing. Mm. And that becomes your strength
0: that's a great way to think about it instead of strengths and weaknesses. It's kind of going, wow, when, when am I that, when am I all that? When do I love it? When do I lose myself in it? Because I just, I in flow. Yeah. 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 And if
1: I, if I link that back to, you know, some work we were doing uh, a few years ago with the W hotel in Barcelona, um, you know, we're having this conversation about soft skills, and I get really irritated when companies say oh, we need to do some soft skills training because soft skills today are the hard skills. So I'd rather <laughs> call I'd rather call them people skills. We need yes. people more people skills. You know, we need to be more human at the centre. Yeah. Um, and the W Hotel was fascinating because their brand works on um, trend seekers come to a W Hotel. And they have trend-setting experiences. So when Barcelona was was basically recruiting, they had this massive party on the beach. I think 5,000-odd people arrived for the job (laughs) interviews. And literally, they had the best DJ in Spain playing on the beach. And all they were looking for were for people that had an absolute passion for art, fashion, or music. Wow. Because they needed trendsetters to work in the hotel in order to satisfy their trend seeking 60, 70, 80-year-old clients. Yeah. (laughs) And um, what I found fascinating about their thinking was that their people skills, um, they have their people skills first. They have a passion for something first. And that is supplemented with the technical skills, how to be a receptionist, how to be a barman, how to run the man, the, the restaurant, how to be a waiter, how to run concierge. So I think if we, if we flip it, if we look for passionate people skills, we should be able to train people into the technical skills instead of the other way around.
0: There's a, there's a great book I've just finished reading that is all about that. Um, It's by a guy called Jesse Cole, who I've met a couple of times in the last six months. He owns the Savannah Bananas baseball team. Now, it sounds better if you're American, because (laughs) then you get Savannah Bananas, but I'm not. Um, But he's just written this book called Fans First, and he talks exactly about that when they are looking for people. It's not about technical skills or that sort of thing. They look for the spark. They look for the fans first, the passion, the... You know the the that who they are is a match for the company rather than what they do, um, which which I think is a lot absolutely. what they're talking about with the W absolutely. Yeah, absolutely yeah yeah
1: and I think that's where where luxury retail at the moment is starting to fall really flat because um, and, and many industries because they recruit from within. They will say that you can get a fantastic job because you work for brand X and we really liked what you did for brand X. Come and join us in brand Y. And then I arrive in brand Y and I think I'm really good because you've recruited me to join you because you don't have this environment and these skills. So I start delivering what brand X used to do. And if the corporate culture isn't strong enough to induct me into a different way of working, I'm delivering my first company's experience in the second company. Mm-hmm. And I think this is part of what Linda Grattan talks about in the shift is that the new workforce is going to need to be sort of a gig type approach. We need to be ready for uh, long before uh, you know, the last pandemic, people were already starting to think, how can, I, how can I deliver things differently? How can I be more fulfilled at work? Um, how do I how do I appear with my skill set and make those available to a number of different different places so um, I think culture really matters in that and also how we appear matters Um, and we need to really start playing to skill sets and not you know because you were in the banking sector we recruit from the banking sector I think we've seen so many people from losing jobs in the hospitality sector, now starting to move to high end retail. Um, There's now backfill coming into the hospitality sector, maybe not helping too much in the delivery of better experiences yet, because people haven't been trained yet. So um, it's so interesting how the sort of, the cultural side of using and and linking to talent is now becoming um, a critical issue if we're trying to enhance experiences for employees and customers.
0: Mm. And it comes back to that whole thing we talked about earlier about uh, moving from transactional to relational doesn't yeah. it? It really yeah. does. It really does. Well, Craig, we've been talking for quite a while and we've been all over the shop, um, <laughs> which is brilliant. It's wild. Really I apologise for that. No, you don't have to. I love it when guests do that. I never <laughs> quite know where it's going to end up, but that's what makes it brilliant. Um, so I want to give you the opportunity to talk a little bit about, you know, what you're doing, what's coming up for you. Uh, you know, what would you like to share with us?
1: Well, there are obviously lots of things happening. I spend a fair amount of time judging um, experience awards in Europe and, and um, the US. I learn so much from that and connect with fantastic people who are doing fantastic work to really lift uh, lift the discipline. Um, I also work. I'm also working uh, in a mentorship program with women entrepreneurs in the UAE, which is incredibly rewarding. These are all people who've got really successful businesses but are wanting to take them to the next level. Um, In the next month and a half, we should be launching the Luxury Communications Council for the Middle East, which is really there to help um, CMOs in the luxury space um, be able to, you know, more intimately share their challenges that they wouldn't do in in a normal forum. Um, And over above that, I continue to have um, conversations with with clients that are really wanting to transform their mindset in order to transform their business. Um, So there's a lot on the plate, um, but I'm enjoying it. And I'm still energized by that. Um, And I'd love to to help more. And if, yeah, Um, I'm also starting to try and unpack this incredibly... um, uh, frustrating world of metaverse where, um, where last week, last week, I've had the first bit of sanity where somebody said, stop worrying about the metaverse. It doesn't exist yet. AI exists. Um, AR exists. NFTs exist. Blockchain is there to support things. Um, but really moving from one verse to the other, we can't do that yet. So don't worry about the metaverse. So um, I'm trying to unpack that a little because I think com- uh, companies and certainly some customers are trying to run very quickly to put a stake in the metaverse. But in reality, they're creating a, a new channel and a new brand experience in their own verse. Mm. And, and until those metaverses can talk to each other, which we're a little way off from yet, um, You know, I think one needs to work cautiously rather than because everything is now being branded metaverse. You know, you get up in the morning, everything's the metaverse. And I think we can we can get onto that hamster wheel and um, and again, um, lose where we should be going. And that's to create experiences that provide greater simplicity for people to connect
0: perfect well you don't have much on then do you so uh, <laughs> but you know in, in light of all that i think what what's fantastic is how is how just in the time we've known each other how you know you are expanding into new horizons and as you said exploring and being curious and unpacking stuff and going well how does this work how do these dots get joined I'm not quite sure that we've mastered that yet but you know there's there's something in you always about joining the dots uh wherever you are isn't there you are join the dots Craig Lee <laughs> join the dots yeah and I
1: think it comes back to that 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 insight that common sense doesn't seem to be common enough and sometimes joining the dots of what is bleedingly obvious to join the dots. Other times it's a bit more obtuse, but when you can, when you can help people join the dots and connect, whether it's relationally, whether it's um, transformationally, um, magic happens. And mm-hmm. I just love the energy that comes out of that. And I also want to thank you publicly for helping me on this journey, um, be able to, to move faster on the journey than I was. Thank
0: so thank you. you oh my pleasure and um, it, it's it was wonderful to work with you uh, and I won't go on too long about this listeners but it it, it is completely um, it's a privilege to be able to work with people you know like Craig like some other clients um, who 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 sort of put their faith in me to help them you know, lead through the journey and, and kind of navigate that move from being employed to not just being an entrepreneur, but this kind of gig mindset about, you know, how do I make all that work? How do I find a golden thread? It was, it was such a powerful experience for me when I left corporate life. And I'm I'm just, I feel like I'm blessed to be able to share that with other people. So um, right back at you. Craig. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so as we uh, wind up our wonderful conversation, uh, what I like to ask my guests is, do you have a nugget for our building brand new listeners that they could take away and implement today?
1: I think, uh, yes. Um, always drive To fuel your own authenticity. What I mean by that is appear as you. There's nothing more credible than that. And people respond to when you are being authentic, when you are doing things from the heart with passion, and of course, a lot of skill. But that is the thing that gets you over the line. It's not your IP, it's not your brand, it's not all the other things that we put together. It's who you are as you appearing in front of your client. Um, And the closer you can, the deeper you can dig into understanding who you are when you appear, um, I think for me that's been, uh, on my journey, that's been the most powerful thing. So spend time on yourself in order to really tap into where your passion sits, what drives your strength. Um, And a famous hero of mine, uh, Nelson Mandela, who is also affectionately known as Madiba, he had a wonderful quote which says, I never lose, I either win or I learn. And I think that's been a mantra for me uh, a lot, is that if you're not trying, you're not getting anywhere.
0: And you're certainly not learning. No. Wonderful. What a wonderful note to finish on. So if people want to get in touch with you, either, oh, I don't know, what could they do with you? They could um, bring you into their organisation. You could be an advisor or a sounding board for their business, a mentor. Uh, if you you know, like to speak to someone who really knows their stuff about leadership, experience, customers, all of that, how do people get in touch with you, Craig? What's your preferred way?
1: My preferred way is through LinkedIn On Craig Lee CX um, on LinkedIn and I'm sure it's in the in the bottom of the podcast but uh, LinkedIn would be the best way and then we can decide how we want to connect from there through emails through phone calls etc but LinkedIn is is probably the best way of being in touch and it also means as we move around all our details go with us so um Look forward to, to hearing from, from some of you. Um, I'm also working a lot more with non-advisory board board um, positions. If you just want a temporary lift in terms of thinking, I would be, it would be wonderful to, uh, to connect.
0: Absolutely. Um, all of Craig's contact details will be in the show notes of this episode. We will also add the links to uh, QBQ, there's a book and some Marcus Buckingham material as well. We will add those links to the show notes so that, you know, you can find them easily. Uh, Craig, if there's anything in particular from Marcus Buckingham you think is particularly brilliant, just whiz that through, and we'll make sure that people have access. Good, I'll do that. Thanks. Brilliant. Cool. Well, all there is left to do is to say thank you so much for squeezing us into your busy schedule. Uh, This is the, um, you know, the first time I've actually sort of sat and explored a brand new journey that I've actually been um, part of. So it has been a real privilege. Craig, thanks for your vulnerability, uh, your openness. I am excited for you now, and I am excited for what you're going to create in your, in your future, what's coming for you. So thank you for letting us be part of your journey.
1: Thanks for partnering, Kim, and uh, look forward to many more interactions. Thank you
0: absolutely uh listeners uh that is episode 15 of season four uh next week will be our final episode of season four so don't miss it and uh we'll talk to you soon thank you for listening to the building brand new podcast i'm kim hamer and if you've enjoyed this episode please leave me a five-star review on apple podcast and connect with me on linkedin facebook instagram or twitter for all the latest news and special offers, hot tips and exclusive content, you can also become a member of the Building Brand You Facebook group. Just type Building Brand You into the Facebook search box and request to join. And if you want to unlock your reputation, your results and your impact right away, our new program, The Vice Squad is now live. You'll find the link to find out more and to register your place in the show notes. I help people to accelerate their success by unlocking their greatest asset. If you'd like to find out more, please book in for a free 20-minute coaching call at calendly.com forward slash Kim Hamer forward slash BBY chat. Accelerate your results by unlocking your greatest asset, you.